0: Chapter 27 of Half a Century by Jane Grace Swishelm. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Daniel Webster. Darkest of the dark omens for the slave in that dark day was the defalcation of Daniel Webster. He whose eloquence had secured in name the great Northwest to freedom and who had so long been dreaded by the slave power had laid his crown in the dust had counselled the people of the north to conquer their prejudices against catching slaves and by his vote would open every sanctuary to the bloodhound the prestige of his great name and the power of his great intellect were turned over to slavery and the friends of freedom deplored and trembled for the results. There was some general knowledge through the country of the immorality of southern men in our national capital. Serious charges had been made by abolitionists against Henry Clay, but Webster was supposed to be a moral as well as an intellectual giant. Brought up in Puritan New England, he was accredited with all the New England virtues, and when a Southern woman said to me, in answer to my strictures on Southern men, Oh, you need not say anything. Look at your own Daniel Webster. I wondered, and began to look at and inquire about him, and soon discovered that his whole panoply of moral power was a shell, that his life was full of rottenness. Then I knew why I had come to Washington. I gathered the principal facts of his life at the Capitol, stated them to dr snodgrass a prominent washington correspondent whose anti-slavery paper had been suppressed in baltimore by a mob to joshua r giddings and gamaliel bailey they assured me of the truth of what had been told me but advised me to keep quiet as other people had done i took the whole question into careful consideration wrote a paragraph in a letter to the visitor stating the facts briefly, strongly, and went to read it to my friend, Mrs. George W. Julian. I found her and her husband together and read the letter to them. They sat dumb for a moment. Then he exclaimed, You must not publish that. Is it true? Oh, yes, it is true, but nonetheless you must not publish it. Can I prove it? No one will dare deny it. We have all known that for years, but no one would dare to make it public. No good can come of its publication. It would ruin you, ruin your influence, ruin your work. You would lose your tribune engagement, by which you are now doing so much good. We all feel the help you are to the good cause. Do not throw away your influence. Does not the cause of the slave hang on the issue in Congress? I think it does. Is not Mr. Webster's influence all against it? Yes, of course. Would not that influence be very much less if the public knew just what he is? Of course it would, but you cannot afford to tell them. You have no idea what his friends would say, what they would do. They would ruin you. I thought a moment and said, I will publish it and let God take care of the consequences. Good, exclaimed Mrs. Julian, clapping her hands. I would if I were in your place. But when I went to post the letter, I hesitated, walking back and forth on the street, and almost concluded to leave out that paragraph. I shuddered lest Mr. Julian's prediction should prove true. I was gratified by my position on the Tribune, the social distinction it gave me, and courtesy which had been shown me. Grave senators went out of their way to be polite, and even pro-slavery men treated me with distinguished consideration. My Washington life had been eminently agreeable, and I dreaded changing popularity for public denunciation, but I remembered my Red Sea and my motto, Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. THE DUTY OF DESTROYING THAT PRO-SLAVERY INFLUENCE WAS PLAIN. ALL THE OBJECTIONS WERE FOR FEAR OF THE CONSEQUENCES TO ME. I HAD SAID GOD SHOULD TAKE CARE OF THESE AND MAILED THE LETTER, BUT I MUST LEAVE WASHINGTON. MR. GREELEY SHOULD NOT DISCHARGE ME. I LEFT THE CAPITAL THE DAY AFTER TAKING MY SEAT IN THE REPORTERS' GALLERY, FEELING THAT THAT DOOR WAS OPEN TO OTHER WOMEN. The surprise with which the Webster Statement was received was fully equalled by the storm of denunciation it drew down upon me. The New York Tribune regretted and condemned. Other secular papers made dignified protests. The religious press was shocked at my indelicacy, and fellows of the baser sort improved their opportunity to the utmost. I have never seen in the history of the press such widespread abuse of any one person as that with which i was favored but by a strange fatality the paragraph was copied and copied it was so short and pointed that in no other way could its wickedness be so well depicted as by making it a witness against itself i had nothing to do but keep quiet the accusation was made I knew where to find the proof if it should be legally called for and until it was i should volunteer no evidence and my witnesses could not be attacked or discredited in advance by and by people began to ask for the contradiction of this vile slander it was so circumstantial as to call for a denial it could not be set aside as unworthy of attention what did it mean Mr. Webster was a prominent candidate for president. Would his friends permit this story to pass without a word of denial? Mr. Julian was right. No one would dare deny the charge. He was, however, wrong in saying it would ruin me. My motive was too apparent and the revelations too important for any lasting disgrace to attach to it. On all hands, it was assured that the disclosure had had a telling effect in disposing of a formidable power which had been arrayed against the slave as mr webster failed to secure the nomination some one started a conundrum why is daniel webster like Cesera? because he was killed by a woman and this had almost as great a run as the original accusation when the national convention met in Pittsburgh in eighteen fifty two to form the free democratic party There was an executive and popular branch held in separate halls. I attended the executive. Very few women were present, and I the only one near the platform. The temporary chairman left the chair, came to me to be introduced, saying, I want to take the hand that killed Daniel Webster. Henry Wilson was permanent chairman of that convention, and he came to with similar address. Even Mr. Greeley continued to be my friend, and I wrote for the Tribune often after that time. End of chapter 27